If you have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16. I've been preaching through the book of Acts. If you're just joining us here this morning, uh, we are over halfway through now. Uh, if If you think of your Bible, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those all tell the facts about the life of Jesus when he was here on this earth. And the book of Acts then is a book of facts about what happened after Jesus ascended back to heaven. And Jesus is still working here in the book of Acts. The start of the book of Acts, it says Jesus was now still working from the right hand of the Father through his disciples as they went out to tell people about Jesus. So we are now in Acts chapter 16. This book was written by a man named Luke. Uh, We'll be reading today verses 16 through 40. Just a second here, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Let's, let's stop and pray here for a second. Well, Father, we do just pause and we just lift our faces now. Father, we believe that in Jesus Christ, you are infinitely merciful, infinitely tender, infinitely gentle and compassionate. And that Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to you for mercy, looking to you in faith, you look at us with infinite love. And you embrace us and you bring us into your family forever. You are for us. You are with us. And we trust that you are here now, Lord Jesus. You promised that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you would be there in their midst. So you are here with us. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, now that you would minister to us in and through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, at the start of Acts chapter 15, the Apostle Paul had started out on his second of three missionary journeys that he has here in the book of Acts. He's now on his second missionary journey. Paul is traveling now with Silas, with Timothy, and he's also traveling with Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. And in the previous passage we looked at last Sunday, this team of men, they landed for the first time ever in the continent of Europe. They landed in a city called Philippi, and a woman there in Philippi named Lydia, she came to faith in Christ. The Lord opened her heart. She believed and came to Christ in faith. And this team of men now is staying there in Philippi at Lydia's home. So that's where we are here in Acts. Let's go ahead and read Acts 16, starting in verse 16. Luke says, And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in, attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Amen. The God of the Bible, the one and only true God, the God whom we love and worship in our Christ Redeemer church family, listen, there is something that you desperately need to know about this God. This God is a liberating God. A God who rescues, who delivers, who releases people like you and me from all kinds of different things. He is a God who liberates, who sets people Free. That's one of the primary reasons why Jesus Christ came to this earth. You know, the first time Jesus ever preached in his hometown of Nazareth, he said this in Luke 4.18, he said, God has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. God has sent me to set at liberty or to liberate those who are oppressed. God is a liberating God, and that is the theme of this text here. We we see it all over here. Three times, in fact, we see God liberating someone. Here they are on the screen. Three things we'll look at today. What do we see in this text? One, God liberates from a devil. Two, God liberates from a dungeon. And three, God liberates from a death. And the first thing here we see, number one, God liberates from a devil. Verse 16 says that this team of men, well, they were now going to the place of prayer, which we know from last week's passage that that place of prayer was by a river about a mile or so outside the city of 
Philippi, where a small number of Jews gathered to prayer to pray. It was there that this team of men had met Lydia. And this team of men was now heading back to that river. And they are met now, verse 16 says, by a young girl who had a spirit of divination. She had, she was oppressed by an evil spirit, some type of demonic bondage, which does exist in our world. Jesus, in the Bible, encountered all kinds of people who were tormented by demons, by evil spirits. And listen, contrary to popular belief, all demons did not die back in the first century. They do still exist. You have maybe somehow experienced some sort of demonic oppression. You've seen some person maybe, and you just knew right then there was something wrong. You just felt some sort of evil presence. Or it's possible that you have been tormented yourself in some way by a demonic spirit. And this girl here had a spirit of divination, Luke says. More literally, the Greek phrase, she had a python spirit, panuma pythona. It simply meant back then that she had a spirit that could predict some future things. Verse 16 talks about her fortune telling, predicting some future events for people, which some demons can do to some degree. Now, they're not omniscient. They don't know all things, but demons can connect some dots and can predict some things. It happens today in some occult things with Ouija boards or palm readers or crystal gazers, demonic spirits there at times that can occasionally predict some future things. I would imagine some of you have been around some of that. You know it is legitimate. And this girl here, by telling people's fortunes, well, she was making money, but not for herself, for her masters. Verse 16 says she was a slave girl who brought her owners lots of profit with this fortune telling. And you can just think maybe in in our world of a girl enslaved by sex traffickers, using her for their profit. And that was essentially this girl right here, a miserable existence. She was enslaved by this demonic spirit. She was enslaved by these masters forced to make money for them through this demonic thing. But she just so happens now, by God's providence, to meet these men as they head toward that river in Philippi. And this girl now, motivated, compelled by this demon, begins to follow Paul and the other men. If you look at verse 17, she followed Paul and us crying out. She was literally screaming, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. It seems kind of crazy to hear a demon proclaiming what was really true, but it was a very pluralistic society, all kinds of gods, so nobody really knew who she was talking about there. And demons did this a lot. You think in the life of Jesus in the Bible, whenever he encountered a demon, that demon almost always recognized Jesus and started yelling out, I know who you are, the Son of the Most High God. 
You can find it in Mark 5. And this demon now recognized these men to be servants of the Most High God. And she repeatedly, this woman, the girl through her, repeatedly screaming, calling out that thing for many days, verse 18 says. Now, we don't know why in the world Paul let this go on for many days. It could have been that Paul was trying to discern exactly what was going on with this young girl. But listen, as soon as Paul recognized this thing was demonic, Paul had had enough. You can look at the middle of verse 18. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Just pause for a second. You ever have someone say the same thing in your ear a million times? Mom. 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 Hey, Mom. Hey, Mom. Mommy. Mommy. Mother. Mother. Just dancing on your last nerve. And you suddenly feel like you might have a demon in your own head harassing you in that moment. Well, Paul, seriously perturbed now by this harassing spirit, turns and casts it out in the name of Jesus, and it goes. And what do we see there? Well, for starters, we just see the raw power of Jesus Christ over all demonic power. He defeated all demonic powers at the cross. And Paul now speaking in the name of Jesus, Jesus working through Paul, cast this demon out with one word. But another thing we see there, you just pause and think about it. You see there the very tender compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you know, you read through this text and it's really easy to kind of lose sight of this girl with, with the, the, the prison and the release from prison and all that fancy stuff. Please don't lose sight of this girl. She was probably very young, may have been 13, 14 years old, enslaved by this tormenting demon, enslaved by these masters essentially pimping her out for their own gain. And Jesus, who is always in the Bible moved with a deep compassion for those who are in need, well, Jesus now essentially just reached out his hand and he liberated this girl. He set her free, delivered her, rescued her from a lifetime of demonic slavery. This girl now has a brand new life by the grace of God. The infinite compassion of Jesus on full display, liberating this girl. And please hear this. That is one of the primary reasons why Jesus came to earth. To liberate people from satanic bondage. And that is a liberation that we all actually need. Because the Bible says that in our natural born state, because of our sin, we are all enslaved by Satan. 1 John 3 says we are children of the devil. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are following the prince of the power of the air. We are enslaved in our natural born state to the devil. Satan just controlling us in our fallen state, just yanking our chain, pulling us here, pulling us there. But here's the thing. God is a liberating God. And God 
sent Jesus. One reason he sent him? To liberate people from demonic bondage. Here it is, 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And all who now turn to Christ in faith, well, Jesus now frees you. He reaches out his hand like he does here. And he frees you from demonic enslavement. A brand new life for you. Free now to love and worship the one true God. So this slave girl has now been liberated, set free, and probably now became a Christian. Joined Lydia there in Philippi as part of this newly forming church. A church to which Paul will eventually write the book of Philippians. And this young girl is probably now there joining this church. And that's the first liberation here in this text. God liberates from a devil. And the second liberation then, God now liberates from a dungeon. You know, this girl's, this girl's owners, her, her masters, are not pleased with this situation. Because, verse 19, their hope of gain is now gone. She's lost the ability to tell fortunes. F.F. Bruce said this, When Paul exercised the spirit that possessed her, he exercised their source of income as well. And listen, you can do lots of things to lots of people and they'll let you do it, but you touch their wallet and they will get angry, and they do. These owners go crazy, seized, grabbed Paul and Silas, verse 19 says, dragged them before the magistrates, the highest Roman officials, dragged them into the marketplace where people bought and sold, but it was also just the, 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 the public area in the city, really the city center, a very busy area in Philippi. Archaeologists have actually uncovered that marketplace in Philippi. Here's a modern-day photo, part of that marketplace in Philippi. I'm sure it looked a bit nicer than it does now, but Paul and Silas were now there somewhere in that area, dragged before the highest Roman officials in this city. And these, this, this girl's owners now bring accusations against Paul and Silas. Verse 20, these men are Jews, foreigners. There is an ethnic slant to their accusations. They are disturbing our city. They're advocating customs not lawful for Romans to practice. And ridiculous accusations that these guys bring right here. Listen, the only thing that Paul and Silas have done so far is they cast a demon out of this city. Probably the best thing ever happened to this city. But these guys, because they were hit financially by this thing, they're now bringing all of these accusations, implying here with their accusations that Paul and Silas and the other Christians are a threat to the Roman Empire. And if there's one thing the Roman Empire did not like, it was any threat that would come against them. And Paul and Silas, they don't have a chance to defend themselves here. This thing basically just explodes into mob violence, a a mass beating. Verse 22 says the crowd now joins in attacking them And the magistrates there, these officials, have them stripped, maybe completely naked. 
It was often part of a prisoner's punishment back then. When one army, especially the Romans, when they conquered another army at war, the victors would often march their prisoners naked through the city. A form of humiliation may have happened here or just stripped the clothes off their backs, somehow exposed their bare skin, and they were then beaten. Many blows, verse 23 says, with rods. Paul will later say this about his life in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. He says, three times I was beaten with rods, and this right here in Philippi was most likely the first. The Roman soldiers who typically performed these beatings, they were called in Latin lictors. It meant rod bearers. It's where we get the phrase, given a licking, from the lictors in Rome. And this was probably a severe licking for Paul and Silas. Maybe not the worst of Roman beatings, which was called the, the uh, verberatio, the scourging that Jesus received that often killed people. It was maybe not that here with Paul and Silas, but this probably was just one level down from that. A beating called the fustigatio is designed to warn people severely. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2 that here in Philippi at this time, he suffered, treated shamefully, and they are thrown into prison. To make an example of Paul and Silas, most likely, in front of this crowd in the market, the jailer, verse 24 says, put them in the inner prison, essentially a dungeon within the general prison, and fastened their feet in stocks, these blocks of woods, wood that were designed to lock their feet in place, but they also stretched their legs apart. It was a form of torture. So there was some serious suffering here. Very easy to read over and not catch that. But listen, Jesus had earlier promised that his followers would experience things like this. Jesus had earlier said this in Luke 21, 12, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, suffering in a Nazi prison cell, he wrote this very famous line. He said, when Jesus Christ calls a man to follow him, he calls him to come and die. And Bonhoeffer the next day was taken from his cell and hanged to death. And listen, that, that's just the Christian path in this life. It's a path of death. Maybe not persecution, thank God, for every believer, but still suffering in various degrees. That is the Christian life in this world. It is a life of suffering. A life of death to some degree before you enter heaven. You just follow the same path as Christ. You get the cross before you get the crown. And Paul and Silas have now tasted to some degree that cross. Put yourself in their place, bloody. The flesh on their backs probably raw from this beating. Feet now in stocks, tortured. 
in this dungeon. But the amazing thing here is they do not wallow in self-pity. Now look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. It's just amazing. We know the end of this story. We know they'll be delivered. But please hear me. When they're in the stocks here in this dungeon, there is no guarantee that God will save them. None. God saved Peter from prison in Acts 12. But just before that in the book of Acts, both Stephen and James were killed. No guarantee they will get out. And yet they pray. And they sing to God. Just an amazing picture there of rejoicing in your suffering. Which God tells us as Christians to do in the Bible. Paul will later write it himself. He says this in Romans 5.3. We Christians, we rejoice in our sufferings. Do we? Do we? We Christians rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So, Christian, whatever pain you are in today, I don't know what that is. May God give you grace today to rejoice in your suffering, to give thanks, a, a, a sacrifice of praise. As the Bible says, you may not feel it, but you do it. Trusting that God is working in and through your pain to mold you for your eternal good and for the eternal good of His people. And listen, Paul and Silas here in prison, their singing probably strengthened them. You ever done that where you just started raising up a sacrifice of praise and your heart was lifted? Tertullian, an early Christian leader, he said this. He said, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. But listen, their singing here, it also probably had a huge impact on the other prisoners. Whom, verse 25 says, we're all listening at this time. Listen, Paul and Silas, these guys know, they know that God is sovereign over all things in our lives as Christians. Paul will later say in Romans 8 that God works all things together for good. For His people, all things together for good. And if that's the case, then God had sovereignly led them to this dungeon for a very good reason. And not just to mold them, to shape them. Another reason God led them here? So they can spread the gospel. Here, in this dungeon, they could not have done it otherwise had they not been falsely accused and thrown into prison. But now they have the opportunity. And they do singing praises at midnight to God. Songs to God. Songs about Christ, most likely, with all of 
the others listening, even in suffering, sharing Christ. Exactly what Jesus had earlier told his followers to do. Here's the rest of what Jesus said in Luke 21. Jesus said, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. And Paul and Silas caught it. They know. And Paul and Silas in prison are now bearing witness to Christ in their suffering, in song. And listen, here's the thing. The God that they are worshiping here, though there's no guarantee that God will give them out, well, that God is a liberating God. And God has sovereignly ordained to liberate them. And He now just rocks this place. You look at verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds unfastened and just picture it get in there and feel that great earthquake the greek word is seismos it's it's where we get the the word seismograph to study earthquakes this massive earthquake shaking luke says the very foundations of this prison all the doors now open everyone's bonds come off. And God has now liberated Paul and Silas from a dungeon. (laughs) They are free to walk. Now they won't for various reasons, but they're free. And listen, it's just another great picture there of what Jesus came to do in His life and His death and His resurrection. Jesus came to liberate people from very dark, very deadly dungeons. Luke 4.18, the first time Jesus ever preached in Nazareth, He said this, God has sent me to proclaim liberty. God has sent me to liberate captives. I've come to set prisoners free. Which is great news for you And me, because we all came into this world as prisoners, captives, locked in a dungeon of our own sin, cannot get out. But Christ, on the cross, He essentially entered our dungeon. He took our sin upon Himself in order that we, who truly trust in Him, might then be set free. And Charles Wesley, um, great hymn, one of my favorites, please Sing it at my funeral. Don't write that down. I'm not dying anytime soon. (laughs) Some of you are like, "Mm, make a note. Here it is. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, nature's darkness, can't see, blind, but thine eye, God's eye then diffused, sent a quickening ray into my heart. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That is fantastic. And that happens for everyone trust in Christ, liberated from that dungeon of sin. If you're trusting in Christ today, that's you. That's you. 
You are free. But please, please hear me. Maybe today you, you don't need to be liberated in that salvation sense from that kind of a dungeon. You, you may already trust in Christ today. You've already been li- liberated from that ultimate dungeon of, of sin. You're now a child of God. But I know that some of you today, you still feel today like you are locked in some sort of dungeon. Maybe some difficulty in your family. Maybe some difficulty in your marriage, in your home, that you just cannot fix. Maybe it's some addiction for you. Drugs, alcohol, pornography. I know it's here in this room. Maybe it's a job situation for you. feels just desperate maybe you just cannot you you can't discern god's direction for you everywhere you look it 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 just looks like dead ends all around you or maybe for you it's just this massive hopelessness depression everything just dark today that was me in my early 20s. Or maybe for you, it's a dungeon of self-hatred. You just cannot stand yourself today. Suicidal, maybe. That was also me, early 20s. Or maybe it's some suffering for you. And it just feels endless. You just feel locked today in some dungeon, whatever it is, no way out. And please hear this. God wants you to know today that He is the great liberator. And He sent His Son, Jesus, to liberate from dungeons. Not just the dungeon of sin, but all kinds of dungeons. There's no dungeon Christ cannot conquer. And listen, Christ is always ready to pour out His compassion on those who hurt and look to Him in faith. So if that's you, Christian, just keep crying out. Crying out for help. Crying out to other believers for help. You know, one of the reasons you may not be getting help is you're not willing to tell other believers. You're too proud. And as soon as you will actually humble yourself and ask for help, you'll find Jesus there to meet you where you are. Listen, Jesus will help you in your dungeon. That doesn't mean that Jesus will always deliver you from every dungeon in your life. Jesus never promised to deliver us from all pain. He did promise to be with us in all pain. When Molly and I were first married, she was having seizures. And no one knew why, and they would not stop. It would happen in the middle of the night, terrifying, tormenting for Molly. And we just began to pray that God would either deliver Molly from those seizures and make them stop, or 
that God would deliver her through those seizures and be with her while she was having them protect her and use them for her good, for our good. And for a time, God delivered through the seizures, did not remove them. But thankfully, God did ultimately deliver from those seizures, and she no longer has them today. But listen, Christian, if Christ does not deliver you from your particular dungeon in this life, He definitely will in the next life. When you're finally released from all the dungeons of this world, and you enter heaven with Christ forever, no more pain. But one way or another, Christian, Jesus will deliver you. It's one of the reasons He came. To, li- to liberate people from dungeons. Cry to Him today. Cry out to Him today, whoever you are. So, God liberates from a devil here. Number one, God liberates from a dungeon here. Number two, and the final liberation. Number three, God now liberates from a death. If you'll look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And here's what's happening there. This jailer simply knew that this prison escape was his death sentence. That's how the Romans treated these things. If they put you in charge of guarding a prisoner and you let that prisoner escape, your sentence, your punishment was death. We saw it in Acts 12. An angel rescued Peter there from a prison, and the guards were then executed. Listen, being a Roman guard, that was not a glorious position. That was a terrifying job. You think you have pressure at work to get things right, and you probably do. One mistake from this guy, and he loses his head. And this jailer now knows, I'm dead. And he raises his sword to do it himself. But he suddenly has this, this life-altering moment to the nth degree. You ever have one of those? Your life is going this direction, and then there's one small event that changes the entire course of your life. That was this jailer right here, by the grace of God. These men could have escaped, but they didn't. They're still there, and this Guard the sword at his throat. Then look at verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And we, in modern terminology, call that a stay of execution. I mean, this man was walking towards the guillotine, whatever um, form of death penalty you want to choose here. Dead man walking, dead man sword to his throat, last second, phone rings, prisoners are all still there. And right then, I think at that, at that moment of life and death, you know how it is, you have that life and death experience in, in, in your life, and, and, and something happened in this man's heart. And God has now brought this man, as we say, to the end of himself. He had probably heard Paul and Silas singing about Christ. 
probably lived right above where they were staying. This man most assuredly had felt this earthquake. He had probably interpreted this earthquake as some form of God's judgment, terrified. And now he finds the prisoner still here and trembling with fear. Verse 29 says, he falls down in front of Paul and Silas. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is a broken man. He is a broken, humbled man at this point in his life. That is God's mercy to bring you to that place. We so often live so proud and arrogant, so hard. And it is God's mercy to work the events in your life that will actually bring you to your knees in brokenness, bringing you to the end of yourself, crying out, what must I do to be saved? And please hear this. That right there is the most important question in this entire universe. The Bible says very clearly that at the end of this age, a judgment is coming. Jesus Christ will return and He will judge every single human being according to His or her works. It is coming. And you came into this world in sin. And the biggest question for you right now is not, what will I do after the service? Where will I go eat today? The question is, what must I do to be saved? What must I do for God to forgive me, to receive me into His kingdom forever and ever? And listen, the answer here is absolutely stunning. If you did not know a thing about the Bible... And you heard somebody say, what must I do to be saved? You might think that God would say, clean up your life. Be a good person. You are a bad one, be a good one. Be moral. Go to church services. Read your Bible. Do all these things and God will forgive you. You'll be saved. Listen, that's the way every other religion on the planet works. It's a salvation based on you, on your effort, on your works. And Christianity is completely different. It is not based upon your works. It is based solely on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf. And that's the answer here. Stunning. What must this jailer, what must everyone do to be saved? Look, if you will, at verse 31. And they said to the jailer, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It's faith. It it, it is so simple. We miss it and complicate it. It's just a living faith in Christ right here, right now. The faith of a child, the Bible says. I believe. I believe in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe He's God's Son. I believe that He died for my sin. I believe that everyone who now turns to Christ and follows Christ in faith will be forgiven by God. And I now rest my life. I I rest my eternity on Christ alone. I will not try to work my way to God. I will not try to wash away my own sin, which I cannot do. I will simply trust that Jesus is enough. Faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And that's it! That is the way of salvation. An old hymn by Horatius Bonar says this, Upon a life I have not lived. Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's 
death, I stake my whole eternity. Not on the tears which I have shed, not on the sorrows I have known, another's tears, another's griefs, on them I rest on them alone. And that's the path of salvation. Believe, Paul and Silas say, in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And Paul and Silas, you know, in the next verse, they do, I think, probably flesh it out a little bit more. For this jailer, verse 32 says, they spoke the word then to the jailer and his family, probably fleshed it out a bit more. But the simple message of salvation here, just believe. And this jailer does. And his family and man we instantly then see just this great fruit in this jailer jesus matthew 12 he said that we would know people by their fruit we would know whether their faith was real by the actions in their life and the jailer's actions here now indicate that his faith is real verse 33 says the jailer now washed their wounds he just hours before had probably helped inflict them those wounds, throwing them in prison, but he now washes those wounds, then takes Paul and Silas up to his house, verse 34, and feeds them. And you can just see it, just this compassion now in the jailer for his former enemies. And you can see there just this great Christian fellowship all of a sudden. And Luke says this jailer and his entire household were baptized. Chrysostom, early church leader, he said this, he washed and was washed. He washed them from their stripes, and he was himself washed from his sins. And the story then here closes with what is really kind of a comical scene when you stop and think about it. The Roman rulers who just had Paul and Silas beaten, well, they come the next morning, they think they've made an example out of Paul and Silas, and they command them to leave the prison, and Paul won't go. The first official sit-in in a prison was the Apostle Paul. I'm not leaving. Because Paul was a Roman citizen. And it was illegal to beat a Roman citizen without a fair trial. You did this to me publicly and now secretly you're going to come and cast me out. No. And the Roman authorities here now know they could be in serious trouble for what they've done. And so verse 39, they actually come and apologize. Now what does that look like after you just beat men with rods? I don't know. But some form of lame apology. And probably then gave Paul and Silas a very polite, a very public escort out of this prison. Indicating to the crowd all over Philippi that Paul and Silas were innocent. And Paul probably did this right here, this sit-in, to protect the new Christians in Philippi. Lydia, the, and this slave girl, and now this jailer. This was Paul's way of showing everyone there in Philippi that the Christians in this city were not actually a threat to the Roman Empire. They had done nothing wrong. He's protecting the people there. So, you look at this text, and we just all through this text... We, We've seen liberation. We've just seen one final liberation. God now liberating this jailer from a certain death. Essentially condemned to die here for his failure. Letting these prisoners go. But God is a liberating 
God, and in one life-changing moment, God liberates this man from a sure and certain death. And man, we just see right there one final picture of why Jesus Christ came. He came to liberate, not just from a devil, not just from a dungeon, but to liberate all who trust in Him from death. Listen, I hate to tell you, you will die. We don't like to think about it. We like to just talk about life. Go read my life magazine. Go, go read death magazine today. You, you will die. It is a certain fact. But a simple faith in Christ, just believing, as Paul said here, a living faith that truly produces good fruit in your life. Well, all those the Bible says, with a genuine faith in Christ, after death, at some point in the future, when Christ returns again, they will rise again. Just like Jesus did in a new resurrection body. All Christians everywhere ultimately liberated from an eternal death. The sword is now essentially at your throat here in this life. It just is. God's law says that you're a sinner. You must die for your sins. But God is a liberator, sent His own Son to take your death in order that you, through a simple faith in Him, simply believing in Him, might ultimately live liberated from death. So it's all through this passage. It's it's all there. What do we see? Acts 16, God's a liberating God. He rescues, He delivers, He he releases people like you and me. He sets people free from all kinds of things. And you know what that means for you today? It doesn't matter where you are today or what you've done or what is now happening to you. You have hope. You have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have hope in this supreme liberator to liberate you from Whatever it is that's now causing you pain. I pray today the Lord will give you grace to believe that and to cry out, to cry out to God for mercy. My great-grandfather preached until into his 90s. He used to say all the time, when you get to the end of your rope in this life, tie a knot, hang on for dear life, and yell for help. If that's you... At the end of your rope, tie a knot, yell for help, and trust that God is a liberator. You have hope in God. May God help you to hope in Him because as Psalm 25 says, no one whose hope is in Him will ever be put to shame. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Father. You are the great liberator. You are the one who saves us from devils and dungeons and deaths. You are our liberator. Give us faith to believe, to look to you, to trust in you. Today, O Lord God, we pray. We thank you for your help. In the name of Jesus, amen.